Hey team, this is the Innovation Inc. podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Brown Evans. We sit down with our favorite entrepreneurs and nerd out on anything that involves innovation in the corporate space. So if you work for a corporate company, but you think like an entrepreneur, we're your people, and we're really excited you're here. Before we jump in, a huge thank you to our sponsor and Inc. 5000 company, APAC Software. They create powerful custom software, websites, and mobile apps that take your business's innovative ideas and turn them into realities. Reach out today to get a quote at apacsoftware.com. All right, everyone, let's get to it. Hey, guys, it is Liz. I'm back with the Innovation Inc. podcast series. Garrett's reminding me to smile while I record this. Um, We are very excited today um, to have on two very different companies, uh, but we're going to talk about innovation in the industry. So um, we're starting a new, I guess you could call it a series, but we're going to start bringing on some of our friends from the world of big companies, big corporations, and some of our friends um, at startups and in the world of entrepreneurship to talk about innovation in a space that they both share. So the first two guinea pigs who just quickly signed up for this experiment um, were Liz Basner from a and Mo Sloan from Easy Chow. Um, so quick intros of both of them, and I'll let you guys speak to both of who you are. Um, Liz Basner, like I said, is with a If you haven't had a root beer lately, here's a friendly reminder to let yourself go have one. Um, and Mo Sloan, I, I think that's all the intro a needs. Hopefully the brand recognition is strong enough. Um, Mo Sloan is with Easy Child. They were the 2019 winner of Five Across. Um, they help small business, small restaurants. I think that's how you guys would say it. Um, do uh, access better technology and point of service. I'm going to let you do the intro first mode because I think I just butchered that. So, um, but we're really excited about you guys really launched at a perfect time before 2020 as well. I know you guys have been able to truly help so many small businesses in the last year and a half. So, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? And then Liz, we'll hop to you in your job description. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get into talking about innovation. Sure. Uh, thank you. My name is Mohammed. I go by Mo Sloan, founder and CEO of Easy Chow. Uh, Easy Chow is a direct digital ordering platform for restaurants and hospitality organizations. Um, I worked for several years for Papa John's uh, International, and I got I got to see the benefit of technology. And I thought, wouldn't it be really great um, if smaller, medium-sized organizations had access to the same technology that uh, Papa John's had access to? And and what could they could what could they do if they could if they could compete on a level playing field, so to speak? And so that's that was really the idea and the genesis of Easy Chow was to provide um, uh, democratized technology, starting with uh, direct digital ordering uh, for restaurants um, and whatnot. Awesome, Liz. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and what your role is at A and W? Sure, uh, I'm Liz Basma. I am our senior director of marketing. Uh, I've been with the brand for almost 10 years. Um, We are the oldest franchise restaurant chain in America. We've been around for 102 years. And while root beer and root beer floats are definitely our signature items, we do serve food as well. Uh, We've got about 550 locations across the United States. We're in 41 different states, I believe. Uh, So we've got a pretty big footprint, uh, although we do have a very heavy concentration in areas like the upper Midwest and the West Coast. Um, and it's always a great day for a root beer float. As we like to say, you can't have a bad day while you're having a root beer float. I think, I think that has to be true. I've never seen someone mad and drinking a root beer float. Um, 
Awesome. Well, so let's get into it. What we kind of want to talk about is what does innovation look like in the restaurant industry? What's the current landscape of technology and how that's affecting it? So Liz, I know we tried a little bit before this. Why don't you start us off? It sounds like you recently went to a tech conference around innovation in the restaurant space. Um, what, what are, what does that look like? What does it look like being at a tech conference for the restaurant industry? It's really, I mean, it really runs the gamut. So I was at the Restaurant Franchising Innovation Summit in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and you really had representation from restaurants that were very wide spanning. So you had some more local sort of mom and pop or small chains, uh, all the way up to some very big, large franchises that have, you know, hundreds or sometimes even thousands of locations. And restaurants and technology, I think, are inextricable. I can't actually think of an industry where you could get away with like just not using tech at all. I think that we have passed that point. Um, but you've got people who are on very different sort of levels of learning and awareness and different levels of adoption as well. So the interesting thing about restaurants is the barrier to entry to just open a restaurant is pretty low. Pretty much anybody, if you've got the money and you can find the real estate and you know a little bit about what you're doing, uh, you can open a restaurant. But that does not translate or correlate at all, oftentimes to familiarity with technology. So I liked, I like what Mo says about democratizing technology, because I think in the restaurant industry, that's really important because if you have some smaller chains or even independent restaurants, it can be really daunting to try and compete with large brands, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Dairy Queen, some places that are really big uh, that have a ton of people who are focused solely on tech all the time. So, and Liz, I think it's interesting because we've talked a little bit, your customer isn't just the end consumer. Your customer, Liz, is the franchisee. Is that a fair way of saying that? I mean, you, you also service your franchise locations. That's really who we service first. So we kind of have two customers, an A and a B customer. Our A customer is the franchisee. Uh, we want to set them up to run successful restaurants and to make sure that they have all the tools that are needed to do so. And part of that is making sure that consumers want to buy what we're offering. So it's really a two-tiered sort of system. And Mo, you're focused specifically more on these small businesses. How do you see them engaging with, with technology? I think Liz said it well. I don't really know if it's an option to not engage with it, period, but sure. that could really run the gamut. Well, actually, there's a lot of similarities between what Liz described in our business model as well. So we're a B2B2C, which means that, um, you know, our, our customers are indeed the merchants. However, their customers are customers of the platform. And ultimately, their success is our success. And that's the way that's the way we look, really look at it as a partnership between uh, merchants of all sizes and us with the goal of helping them. Um, but from a <clears throat> from a technology standpoint, the way we see the landscape is it's really kind of based upon my experiences in in corporate IT specifically. Uh, I've not only had food um, hospitality experience working for Papa John's, but also got um, insurance experience, pharmacy experience working for Humana, uh, logistical experience working for United Parcel Service, and financial experience working from uh, from a bank. But but my my point of in all this is that what we're really seeing is, is especially in the restaurant space, is that you're no, you're no longer necessarily a barbecue joint. You're no longer a pizza joint. You're no longer a burger joint. You, you're, you're a tech company that sells burgers. Hmm. You're a tech company that sells milkshakes. You're a tech company that sells barbecue. If you look at it from that perspective, then I think the restaurants will, will be well positioned 
uh, to take advantage of the future landscape. And that's really what we try to do with our merchant partners is, is not is solve their immediate problem, which is a lot of times is uh, is the third party ordering and, and uh, how problematic that is for both the merchant and the customer. And we and we solve that problem for our merchants. But it's beyond that. It's really it's really starting for the starting to educate the merchant and teach them how they can uh, they they shouldn't take a, a knife to a gunfight, right? They they need to use the same weapons and and for lack of a better analogy, as everybody else. So, no, think of your sir, think of yourself as a food as a technology company with food trucks. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, Liz, maybe you first, and then low or Mo, <laughs> most on low. Mo, speak to your customers. So I feel like that's where we're going. These are essentially your kind of an integrated tech company that also sells food. How does that? differentiate from where a lot of either restaurant owners or franchisees are now? Like what is the current state of engagement with technology? I imagine it's not as easy as you give them tech and then they adopt it and they never look back. Yeah. I can't think of a time when that's ever happened. (laughs) Give somebody tech and they're like, thank you. This is exactly what I needed and I will use it uh, as it's intended. And we have no further questions. (laughs) I don't think that's ever happened. Um, You know, it's interesting because with our system, uh, we really have people that are all over the spectrum. So we have five restaurants that are still cash only. Uh, One of those restaurants does not have a dining room. It's still like a food stand. Um, so they've wow. got parking spots. It's like a drive-in. Um, it is an all, all of these are older restaurants as well, as you can imagine. Um, and so they have been able to get away without utilizing a lot of technology for a very long time, you know, for decades, basically. Uh, however, even those restaurants have had to adopt some things. Um, you know, one thing that we really um, make sure that we provide as a franchisor is that listing information is correct. So we want to make sure that restaurants are on Google Maps, Apple Maps, that they're Google searchable, that they've got, uh, you know, basically online real estate that lines up with um, all of the correct information so that consumers can literally just find this restaurant. It's like step one to making money. People have to be able to find you so that they can give you some. Um, and then we've got a restaurant that's opening in two weeks. That's got, you know, the latest and greatest POS system. Uh, they've got, um, you know, the latest and greatest in Wi-Fi. They've got really, uh, a lot more tools at their disposal than some of the other restaurants do. Um, and really for us, I think a big part of our job is to show use cases and really show that we're not suggesting technology for the sake of it, just because it's cool, or we can say that we're using it. You know, we have to prove that this is something that will make their lives easier, that will save them time, that will save them money um, and also make them money in the end. Yeah, Mo, how about you? I mean, where what what's the spectrum that you see of technology adoption? Yeah, uh, well, the, the spectrum that we see is kind of uh, really we're, we're we're in the area of making them money. Right. So um, <clears throat> when you start looking at our solution versus other solutions out there, specifically third parties, uh, third party applications such as Uber Eats, Postmates, et cetera, um, you, you really see the, um, the our value proposition, which is which is adding, which is letting them control their own direct channel, right? And so what, it, what has happened over the years is that a lot of merchants have fell into the trap of relying on third party applications to basically produce that customer funnel from a digital perspective, right? Mm-hmm. If they adopt, if they adopt digital ordering 
and and while that's okay, that really that really uh, lessens the brand and the and the merchants control over their own brand because then they basically become a wholesale business to the Grubhubs and Uber Eats of the world. Uh, so that's one aspect, and then the other aspect is we are working with some merchants who have a little bit more a little bit more um, sophisticated operations, and we incorporate technology in various ways from from loyalty integration potentially uh, to delivery management system integration. So, so there's different levels of technology. It just really varies based upon um, the individual merchant. Um, and and we've got some, for example, we've got some uh, some franchisors similar to AW who who want who want to know exactly what's happening at the store level so that they can make sure that the correct royalties are getting paid, right? Because in the case if you are a cash-only business, you might be able to actually avoid paying royalties, et cetera, because there's no tracking and auditing. So, so, you know, it kind of runs the gamut. It just, it just depends on the individual, the merchant's individual current thought process, and then the long-term or two to four year strategy. Hmm. I know I mentioned this when I talked to you guys before, but in my mind coming into this conversation in the restaurant is such an old industry, 120 years old. It sounds like to be exact. Also, I didn't know you guys were the oldest for er, yeah. franchise franchise. Um, no, we beat White Castle by two years, I think. <laughs> That's very cool. Just, I didn't know that. Just didn't know sliding that in there. Yeah. Where, where was where was the first one? Lodi, California. Is it still there? It is not. We do still have a restaurant in Lodi, and it's really cool. Um, it actually serves as kind of an AW museum. The owner is like a collector. He has a lot of really, really cool stuff. Uh, but there is a plaque in Lodi that denotes where it actually was. That's very cool. What's the oldest single location you guys have? Do you know? I think the oldest location we have is in Ohio. I think it's Ravenna, Ohio. And that's been open, I believe, since the late 40s. That is wild. That is wild. That's, I mean, that's just cool though. That, that makes me, good job, A&W. Um, it's a piece of American history that right there. 100%. No. I mean, I even think of like pop culture that you see AWN that just spans back decades. That's yeah, that's something to be proud of. In my mind, though, because it spans back so long, it's sort of this like slow moving dinosaur industry or and maybe that's not entirely fair, but I think it doesn't. Liz, you said it well at the beginning. In order to get into the restaurant industry, you do not have to necessarily be high tech. You got to know how to cook and get people to come in and give you cash. Um what do you guys see as the future? Like what is needed for it to continue moving forward sort of from an innovation perspective? It sounds like some of the tech is there. Maybe it's a matter of adoption. Is it a matter of education? Is it a matter of business owners actually understanding the ROI behind technology so that they know how to change? What Liz, maybe you first, what, what do you, what, what is lacking? I think it's all of those things. Um, and I think the thing that is helping the most is number one, uh, you know, the the big lesson from COVID in terms of the restaurant industry, at least, is it sort of forced adoption on people who may not have considered it before. So it might not have gotten everybody all the way to bright. Um, but I had, you know, personal conversations with franchisees who were asking about online ordering. You know, they were like, how can I download the app so that I can see what you guys are up to online? Um, and it was people that I never would have expected I'd be having that conversation with. So I think part of it is just the zeitgeist of finally accepting that tech is here to stay 
And it's really what the consumer wants. I don't think that we'll ever go back to a time where consumers uh, will allow for less convenience. People got used to curbside pickup. They got used to online ordering. They got used to being able to see exactly what the menu was before they got to a location. Um, I know updating hours was a, a big thing that our web team did last year. It seemed often multiple times a day we were having to change hours just to let people know when restaurants were open, if they had limited their hours. Um, and so I think it was really forced adoption for a lot of franchisees. Um, and I think the second part of that it's, is it's becoming much more affordable. Uh, you've got companies like Easy Chow who have really decided that you know, to democratize technology and that everybody should have access to this in some way, shape or form. So you don't necessarily have to be a huge company that has, you know, millions and millions of dollars to spend on these sort of um, technologies and applications. And so I think that that's exciting because it also, um, it really challenges the tech companies to be like, okay, you're no longer the only player in this space. We now have options to choose from. Um, and so it keeps everybody on their toes as well. Mo, what are your thoughts? Sure. I think, um, I think it's, it, it's here to stay as Liz mentioned, Convenience is not something that people uh, want to give up once they have it. Once the once the genie's out of the bottle, um, I don't I don't hear my kids begging to go back to a rotary phone. So you know it, I don't think it's, uh, so. Convenience is here to stay. It's only going to quote unquote get worse or progress depending on how you look at it, right? And so I, I think it's incumbent upon technology companies such as ourselves to really continue open dialogues with merchants to understand what problems are they seeing? Because really what we want to do is we want to provide ROI. Uh, we, we don't want to give them technology for technology's sake. We really want to show them the ROI, right? And so the the more, the, the greater relationships we have with our merchant partners where we can talk, where, where they share operational information and help us understand their problems, then we can make adjustments, do things to solve their issues, right? And so that's really, um, uh, to me, what the future looks like is, is, and from our perspective, being very merchant centric and, and thinking about operations is a key component of what happens, operations and marketing. Um, we want to continue those dialogues with, with merchants and understand what they, what problems they're seeing and, and how technology can bridge the gap and solve some of those problems. Because that's exactly what it should do. It should, it should make life easier for, for restaurateurs. But, you know, the, the most obvious one that we're obviously keeping track of is, is autonomous delivery. And I think once that becomes um, viable at scale, then, you know, that's really, it's going to be a land grab at that point. And, and, and merchants and restaurateurs are going to have to find those technologies which allow that to happen because it would, it would be affordable essentially at that point. Sure. I have maybe an elementary question that could be helpful for our listeners. Um, when you're thinking of technology in a restaurant space, let's start with more like with for restaurant tours of small business. What are the different aspects where technology can touch? I know we've talked about delivering or like point yeah. of sale, but I mean, there's there's a lot more than that. So what, what what are we talking about? Sure. I mean, so in the restaurant world, you really break it up into the front of house and back of house. Right. And those are kind of two different areas. Right. And the front of house is, is, is servers and 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 things that the customer sees, the back of house is all the things that goes on in the kitchen that the customer never sees that needs to happen. But basically, technology can touch every anything and everywhere, right? From from quick service automations, I'll, I'll give a plug out to QSR here locally. 
they work on the kitchen display system back then, some components of that. That's a back office system, that's technology. From inventory management, from uh, 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 accounting, point of sale, credit card processing, marketing, you know, all those are, are, techno are, tech are touch points for technology. And then, you know, you've got the obvious, the order at table, the digital ordering, the kiosk, the pay at table, those kind of things that the customers see. But from really, um, if, if you start looking at what some of the lessons that that I think the big brands, the young brands, et cetera, learn from, from COVID, it's, hey, we can make just as much money, but cut out a large portion of our expenses, i.e. labor, through technology and ghost kitchens. So you're going to see more and more of the rise of ghost kitchens where it's not going to be, you don't need a big footprint. You just need a kitchen. And your only limitation is how much, how much order, how many orders you can get out through the kitchen in an hour. Liz, I know you had some interesting thought. I mean, how do you see labor and technology, especially after COVID, the landscape we're in right now? What, is, what does that relationship look like? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, labor is obviously something that is at the top of, of everybody's mind. And certainly it's impacted the uh, restaurant industry. And Mo's right, you know, if you can make just as much money, but not have a dining room, so you've suddenly no longer have to have a cashier, you don't have to have someone who cleans it, you don't have to worry if the bathrooms are sparkly clean all the time, like it really makes a difference when you don't have to have people in your facility, whether that's because they're doing delivery or drive through, or if it's a ghost kitchen, you don't have to have customers at all. No one's going to know what it looks like. They only know what the end product is. Uh, it's really fascinating to see how, how that has changed so quickly. Um, but I think that um, in terms of labor, we used to think about like, at least I did, having like little robots in the back that are making your food and, you know, just sort of taking people out of it altogether. I don't think that's where we're headed necessarily. Although I have seen a pizza making robot that was pretty cool, but it looked <laughs> expensive also. Um, but I think that we're looking more at things like um, ways that it can make a team member's life easier as well. So a lot of the vendors that I've talked to lately have to do with payroll processing and people are no longer satisfied with a paycheck every two weeks. Uh, there are some people who want to get paid weekly. There are some people who would rather get cash directly deposited into their account. There are some people who would rather, um, you know, have just some sort of like an online app portal that, that they can get paid into. Uh, there are companies now that will offer payment services today. So if you work eight hours today, when you clock out, there is money automatically entered into your account. Hmm. And so the convenience really doesn't just apply to consumers, but I think that it's something uh, that team members are starting to expect as well. You know, people don't want to go back to things like physically going to a restaurant to look at a paper schedule, like pinned to a bulletin board. They want to be able to log on online and see where all of their information is. I don't want to have to talk to somebody to get a W-2. Like I only remember that once a year and I want to be able to log in and get it when I need it. So I think that there's really two sides to it. It's not just labor for cost savings. Um, and for the consumer, it's, it's labor and technology in terms of attracting people who are going to want to work for your company. I still remember I worked for Chick-fil-A in high school, going to the, the paper board after class to see if I was scheduled at the same time as my crush. 
uh, and if we would be working together that evening or not. So his name is Steven. I hope he's doing great in life these days. Um, haven't, haven't seen him since the day I left for college. So, um, so switching topics a little bit, cause Liz, you brought up some, some interesting things in our, in our prep call. And then we're kind of going to get to the, to the end of this recording, but, um, let's talk about product development. So what made me think of it? You brought up pizza. Um, I mean, there, it's wild what you can do with technology at this point. Um, but tell us a little bit of what you guys are seeing from products and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about, about advertising as well. Yeah. So it's really cool what you can do with products and just the way that data is ingested and aggregated and spit back out. So we've used a software program in the past and you can use it in a couple of different ways. You know, one way is you can say, I'd like to do a new high-end burger and it will pull all of the burgers that any QSR in the United States has done in the last 10 years. It will show you how it performed, how it sold, what consumers thought of it. It ranks them on a scale. Um, a lot of times it pulls in like actual advertisements so you can see like what the promotional materials look like. The other way that you can use it is you can give a list of ingredients. So uh, for example, you know, we work with a lot of vendor partners, um, you know, Hershey's, Reese's, uh, you know, different sauce companies. And sometimes we want to do a promo that really highlights one of those vendors. So you can put in a bunch of different ingredients and the software will spit back out a lot of suggestions to you of what you can actually put together. So I'm sure people can imagine the first two times we used that, I did it as it was intended. And the, after the third time, I was giving it the most insane ingredients that you could think of. <laughs> I was like, I've got marinara sauce and anchovies and ranch dressing and Sour Patch Kids. Like, go, what are you <laughs> going to give me? Uh, clearly, they had thought of that because it basically will come back and say, this, there's no, this is not a real product. Like, no one's trying to do this. <laughs> should not be doing this. Um, but it's just crazy because I think about if we didn't have access to a tool like that, how long it would take to go through every single burger promo that every company has done in the last 10 years and then look up how it sold and then find out how consumers responded to it. You know, you'd never be able to get anything done that way. You just wouldn't, you'd have to, you'd have to find a shortcut. So I think in, in ways like that, it's really interesting to see how tech is really helping with product development as well. Hmm. Which I think, again, looking at that aggregate information that gets into advertising as well, because with whether you're developing product or developing marketing campaigns, it's either a guessing game or you have the data to make correct decisions. Um, but how do you, how is AW, how are you guys engaging with, um, whether that's from marketing or a campaign perspective, are you guys using much technology for that? That's probably, I'm assuming you guys are, how are you using it? <laughs> We are, and this is like my favorite thing. That's probably the favorite aspect of my job. I love thinking about media um, and I just find it fascinating. But even, you know, I've been doing this job for 10 years. Even in the last 10 years, it is pretty crazy how far that industry has come. So, you know, for us, it's all about spending our dollars wisely and we are fairly regional. Um, and so we don't want to just be blanketing our message to the entire country. So when we started advertising, we were basically doing some geolocation. So it was like, okay, we'll advertise online in areas that are within 10 miles of a restaurant. Today, we're advertising anywhere from a three to a 15 mile radius. We have um, access to partners who have credit card information so that we can specifically target like competitors. Uh, if you're going to a Culver's or a Dairy Queen, but you haven't used your credit card at an A&W ever, we can target you. You can get into people's, wow. you know, 
email accounts. You can follow their phones around. You can see what their friends and family are spending money on. Uh, you know, if people have kids. So it's just nuts. You know, of course, the more layers you add to your targeting, typically the more expensive it gets. So there is a threshold where it's just not worth spending $10,000 to reach two people. Um, but the amount of information that is available about consumers online is wild. I'm sure I'm going to get NW ads after this recording. So thank you for that. I hope so. Um, I was going to say, if someone's doing their job correctly, I will. Um, Mo, I know, what is what is capitalizing on marketing look like for some of these smaller companies? Obviously, they. I'm assuming your customers don't maybe have, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, sure. but there's still something you can do. And then how do you, how do they capitalize on that? Yeah, so, so, so um, when we're pitching our idea um, to investors and to uh, uh, entities such as that, we, we talk about the benefits of, of marketing and we talk about the benefits of ordering, right? But it's really when you combine marketing and ordering together that you get the maximum benefit. Because in the, in the, in the example that Liz gave, which is great examples, you still want some call to action. You want them to be able to complete something, right? And so you can target the customer, you can find the customer and you get the ideal customer profile and you get, and you're resonating with that customer. You want them to be able to make it, make a transaction, to spend money with you right then and there, right? Not wait 10 minutes, not wait 30 minutes, not wait till this afternoon, spend money right there. So from our perspective, what, what we try to do is we try to, uh, we, we try to bring in the benefits of, of, of marketing and combine it with ordering, right? And really educate the the merchant. Say, hey, if you're spending this much money, uh, let's look at you know a typical Grubhub account, right? You might be paying thirty percent for that order, but what if you were to pay effectively two percent for that order? And then you can take the twenty eight percent that you're spending to grow Grubhub's brand and grow your own brand through digital marketing and advertising or print media or whatnot, right? Or more decals on the windows or ban or or, or signs on the expressways or everything. So you can really then see, you know, if, if you utilize money in the, in the effective ways, such as Liz described, you can really get a bang for your buck. And what we try to educate people is, is from a digital e-commerce perspective, bring them together. That's great. Well, guys, you've been so generous with your time. I feel like we just kind of got into it. I'm sure there's a million more things we could talk about, but, um, Go find a pizza robot is my number one takeaway from this. And I know there are some in New York. I used to live there. Um, I always wanted to try one. Um, but why don't you guys quickly maybe just give a, a shout out. How can people find you? Liz, do you want them to follow you guys on Instagram? Do you want them to go buy a burger right now? Um, maybe the next call to action. And then Mo, what's the best way for people to find out more about Easy Chow? Yeah, definitely uh, check us out. Uh, if you go to awrestaurants.com, you can find a location that's close to you. We also have an app that you can download on either iTunes or Google Play. Uh, here in Lexington, we've got two company restaurants and you can get your order curbside. You can go through our drive-through. You can get it delivered. So there's a lot of different ways. Uh, and we definitely want you to buy a burger and a root beer flow. For us, they can just go to our website, easy-chow.com, easy letters E and Z dash CHOW.com where they can learn more um, about us and if any restaurateurs out there listening, um, if they have any questions, they can go to that site, fill out our contact form and, and we'll be in touch and we can um, help them regardless of whatever decision they decide to go and direction they decide to go in. 
Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for being so generous with your time. This has been exciting. Excited to get this out and um, hopefully get people talking about innovation in restaurants. So we will uh, we'll have all of those links in the show notes that everyone can check out and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you know someone who should be on our show, even if it's you, reach out to us at innovationincubated.com. And while you're on our website, sign up for our newsletter. Lastly, thanks to our sponsor, Apex Software. The right software partner can change everything. So reach out today at apexsoftware.com. Until next time, go team.